just to set the scene of what I want to do this morning. Um, we're going to look again at church community. This is the third session that I'm doing, this will be the last one. And then next week we're going to look at uh, the third part of our mission statement, which is fruitful in life and what it means to be fruitful through our lives into the community and all the depth and that God can use us to do. So again, I have some notes for you uh, uh, on the overhead. So we look at uh, church membership, the third part of being planted in family. And uh, the last couple of weeks we've been, we've been exploring this from different angles. And last week I gave you seven uh, reasons why the Bible values community. And uh, I said things like it's part of authentic conversion, it's the best way to evangelize the community, uh, it's uh, the best way we can live out the gospel and demonstrate the gospel to those around us, is to be part of vibrant gospel-centered communities, alright? So I gave you those seven uh, uh, reasons, if you like, for valuing church and valuing church community. And so what I'd like to do today is just to explore two things. And the first thing I want to look at is to try and answer this question. Is church membership a formal or an informal thing? Alright? Is it a formal relationship or is it an informal relationship? Do we kind of uh, make a commitment or do we just kind of be part of something and when we kind of feel like it? Is it more informal? Uh, or, or what does the Bible say? And I think there are some definite indications for us in the Bible that I'd like to give you this morning in terms of New Testament gospel community. And here they are. I'm going to give you five indications why I think it is more of a formal commitment rather than an informal thing. And here are the things for you. The first is the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe local church. If you read Gospels, you read the book of, of Acts, you read the letters that Paul writes. When he describes the church, he describes it using these other metaphors a flock, a temple, a body, uh, a household. And those are all pictures that are used specifically to, to describe local church communities. And there's many, many scripture references. I'll just give you some if you want to go and look for yourself. Acts 20, Ephesians 2, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Timothy 3. And my point is this that all of those metaphors are quite clear, they're quite distinct. Uh, a shepherd knows uh, who's part of his flock and who's not part of his flock. A temple is a defined thing. You can see who, uh, the, the structure that goes into a temple. A household is clear. You know who belongs to the family and who doesn't. And so this is the first indication for me that it is more formal. You know who's part of the church and you can distinguish between who is, who is and who isn't. The second thing, that goes alongside this, is the meaning of the phrase, the whole church. And Paul uses the phrase, the whole church, a number of times. Again, I've given some scripture references for you. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, Paul says, if the whole church comes together in one place. And so it's quite clear for me that, um, how would they know what the church is if there wasn't a formal relationship established? So there's a sense of a formal thing that has been communicated, that people have communicated that they want to be part of this community. That's the second indication. The third is this. Uh, there's specific uh, instructions for pastors as they look after God's church. Uh, Jesus is the great shepherd. Pastors, those that look after the church are under shepherds. We are, we, are, we are called to pastor alongside Christ under His hand. And uh, it says many times again, Acts 20, 1 to 3, Philippians 1, Titus 1, it says, pastors, those that are called to shepherd the church, those that are 
overseeing the church, they call, call to care for the whole flock, all of the flock, and they are accountable for the souls of those that are under their care. So there is this, this um, sense that if they're going to have the commitment to get care for these people, they need to know who the people are. And again, for me, that indicates more of a formal relationship than it does an informal one. And then there's another a fourth thing, the meaning of the word join. And this is, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, in Acts 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they meet a fiery end. Do you remember the story? Uh, the church is, um, they pretend to be more generous than they are, and God brings judgment upon them, and, and uh, they not, basically. And it says, after that story, it says in Acts 5, 13, that of the non-Christians, it said, no one dared to join them, that is the church, but they esteemed the people highly. And here the Greek word for join has, has got extremely strong um, connections with, with a committed thing. And it's the same word, the same root word actually, that speaks about sexual relationships between a husband and a wife, and, the, and, and how we are joined to the church. It's got a very set, a deep sense of commitment and binding together. And uh, when you put those three things together, in terms of marriage, in terms of us being joined to Christ, it's a very powerful image. And that's how the Bible describes the same way. Our church community is like we join to each other. We are, we are uh, deeply committed to each other. Right? So that's the um, fourth indication that I see in the scripture. And the fifth is this. Um, both in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5, there are, there are very definite instructions given to us in terms of how to discipline in the church. And the implication is, if you can put someone out of the church for uh, immoral behavior, there must be a sense of knowing the de definition of what the who is in the church community if you can put someone out of the church community. And for me, again, this indicates a formal relationship because the church really is to welcome everybody in terms of worship. Um, but what, what, what Paul is saying here is the formal association with the person, if they do not repent for this repeated kind of sin, you have to put them outside of the community of the church. And so, I love what uh, Douglas Miller says, he says this, in the New Testament there was no such person as a Christian who was not a church member. Conversion was described as the Lord adding to the church. They were synonymous, they were the same thing. When someone got saved, they were joined to the church. There was no spiritual drifting from one thing to the other. And so there are five indications for you, why I believe, that the Bible is quite clear that we have a, a formal relationship with each other uh, as part of church community. So what I'd like to just dwell on for the remainder of this morning is a, a wonderful uh, byproduct of that. And uh, I think family is an amazing thing. A big part of any family is privilege. Being part of a, a family with, like we all, if you're married and you know you've got a mom and a dad, you've got kids, it's an incredible privilege. And as you know, there are not only privileges associated with family, but there are also responsibilities that we carry towards our family members. And in the same way, there's some joyful responsibilities that we have towards each other as part of God's family. And all of us, all of us are called to love, to pray. To love each other inside of the church and to reach out those that are not in, 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 in the kingdom, uh, to love those outside of the church. Uh, we're all called to worship, we're all called to pray, we're all called to submit ourselves to the teaching of the word. We all are 
We all commit ourselves to fellowship, to opening our hearts to each other. Those are some of the things that we enjoy. But I think that the Bible also is quite clear when it says we have some loving responsibilities towards each other. And I'd like to, to kind of point a couple of these out to you this morning. And the first is simply this. Uh, it's a very simple thing. Next slide. Uh, we're all, we, are, we are called, we are obliged, in a sense, to love one another. Yeah, it's such a simple thing, isn't it? We're called to love one another as, as believers in the, in the local church. And again, there are a myriad of scriptures. I just chose a couple for you. Go to a study for yourself this week and just Google, um, just do a word search for, for, for love in the New Testament. John 13, 34, John 15, 12, Romans 12, Galatians 5, 14, and Galatians 6, 10, Ephesians 1, 15, etc. And again, the point is that we are all members of the same family. And it's very powerfully put in Ephesians because Ephesians actually says that we are members of each other. Just as the body hangs together, we are members of each other in God's church. That's a very powerful image, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 12. For just as one body, the body is one and it has many members, all the members of the body, although many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all remains to drink of the same spirit. And so there's this very simple underlying call on our lives to love each other. And that's worked out very practically. And so I want to encourage you that anything in our lives that cools the love that we feel for each other has to be has to be resisted. It has to be repented of. It has to be avoided. Whatever cools the love between each, each of us needs to be resisted. Why? Because as we love each other, we truly demonstrate the gospel to other people. Alright, so that's the first thing I see uh, is that we're called to love each other and I want to encourage you on this journey. Uh, it's easy to love people that are exactly like you. It's more difficult to love people that are very different from you. Isn't that true? And that's where the challenge comes. The second thing we are, do, we are, we are obliged to do as, as members of God's family is to seek peace. To preserve unity within a local congregation. And again, many, many scriptures that point to that. Uh, but I want, I want to... Um, just quote 1, Philippians 2, verse 3, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I put it to you that the desire for unity, it flows out of love. If we truly do love each other, there's a natural overflow of that, is that we want to be unoffended with each other. We want to have unity. We don't want there to be any barriers between us if we truly do love each other. And that's what 1 Corinthians 1 says. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree that there be no divisions amongst you, that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. And then he goes on and says, it's been reported to you about close people, that there's quarreling amongst you, my brothers. And it really grieves Paul when he hears this fighting in the church. So, I put it to you, I say it to you again, that if there truly is one spirit, and we all share in the same spirit, same Spirit of Jesus, the natural expression of that is unity. And it's only because there's a remnant of sin in all of our lives that preserving unity sometimes is difficult. It's, it's because there's sin in us that we need to deal with. And 
Otherwise, it should, it should flow just from the inside uh, by the power of the Spirit. And look how Paul encourages the church in Philippi, Philippians 1.27. Have we got that up there? Yeah, Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I might hear that you are all standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightening anything by your opponents. There's an appeal from Paul's heart. I want you to be one. I want you to be unified. I want you to be together, not fighting. That's how we demonstrate the gospel to those that are unbelievers. Right? So we preserve unity. And thirdly, kind of flows out of that one, we're called to do all that we can to avoid strife. I love, I love Proverbs. You know what Proverbs says? 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So put before the problem breaks out. It's like when you open the tap, you can't stop. Isn't that true? I don't know if you know that. When you have words with your husband or your wife, and you start, it starts, and you, it's very hard to stop once the water's flowing, isn't it? Once you get it, 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 it kind of hijacks you, your emotions hijack you. And so the encouragement from, from the Proverbs is don't let the water out. Avoid, avoid strife, avoid the quarrel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 32, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Again, it's that encouragement, isn't it? Give ourselves to these things by the power of the Spirit. And so I think something very powerful happens when we aim at cultivating unity. There's a powerful overflow uh, in our lives, and it expresses in sympathy for other people uh, who are going through difficult things. There's a striving side by side, and it releases great power through our lives as we are one. And so um, we are to avoid strife, actively cultivating one-heartedness. I love Romans 12 as well. Rejoice with those who rejoice, speak with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So many encouragements in the scripture was to aim at unity and, and, and honoring other people. Still with me? Yes. I'm going to go quite quickly just to kind of reinforcing the same thing from, from different angles. Fourthly, we're encouraged to care for each other physically and spiritually. And again, just a very powerful scripture. Uh, I'll just read it. Um, Matthew 25 is also John 12, 8 and Acts 15. He says similar things. But here, Matthew 25, 31, simply says this, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, gave me food, I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you a drink? And when did we see a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, 
Truly, I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So powerful is this. Don't really need to say much more than that. We're called to care for each other, physically, mentally, as to the best of our ability, spiritually, looking out for each other, looking for, out for the one who's feeling weak, and also reaching out, obviously, into the community. And there's so many, so many initiatives. Feed, help, what STEP is doing, many, many initiatives in the community to reach out to those that are lost in the road. Alright, so we're called to encourage for each other, we're called to care for each other, and then we're called to watch over one another and hold each other accountable. Now, in our, we looked a little bit at our culture, which is very independent. It doesn't really like this one. <laughs> our culture doesn't respond well to this. We're called to watch over one another and hold each other accountable. So, Romans 15, Galatians 6, uh, 2 Philippians 2. Great, great encouragements in these scriptures. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any sin, transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in the spirit of gentleness, not in the spirit of condemnation, not in the spirit of are you ready for again. How many times have I told you not to do that? That's not the spirit of gentleness, is it? <laughs> And we're called to restore each other with the spirit of, spirit of gentleness. Do I always get this right? No, I don't. But I'm trying to learn, right? The spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. Yeah, again, Paul's encouragement. Don't be so quick to point the finger. Watch yourself, because why? Because you are going to be tempted yourself and don't, don't foul up yourself, basically, Paul was saying. Right? Bear one another's burdens and serve the full the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Simply love. That's what he's saying. As we bear each other's burdens, as we as we restore people gently, we are showing love. That's the law of Christ that we're called to demonstrate. Alright? So let's in a gentle way, in a kind way, hold each other accountable. That's that's the key. That's the key. Possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Number six. We are called to work at edifying each other. What does that mean? Edifying means encouraging. Means lifting up each other's hands. Means saying, uh, gee, Jess, you put lots of, where's my son? You put like 10 points on one page. Okay. So, sorry for that. Edifying one another. Uh, means encouraging. It means lifting up each other's hands and saying, you can do it. And I really want to just encourage you. I don't think we can encourage each other enough. Why do I say that? Because the world says to you all the time that you can't do it. <laughs> the world says to you all the time that, uh, you know, failures are awaiting you. That you're not going to be successful. You get what I'm saying? That's in our culture. Oh, you're not going to make it. You know, everyone else is going to be successful, but not you. All those kind of things. Do you ever, do you ever feel that? It's true. That's how our, our world works. And you step on other people to make sure that you are the one that gets to the top. Yeah? What does the scripture say? We are called to encourage one another. And I want to say to you, we can never do that enough. We can never do that enough for each other in the church and for those outside the church. I love Barnabas. What was his, his nickname? Son of Encouragement. 
Yes? Son of encouragement. Someone who was always trying to lift up each other's hands. And uh, we were talking this week in our family that sometimes we don't do that for each other. I don't always do it for him. So thank you. Encourage her. You're doing a great job. Yeah? Sometimes the people closest to us, we can take for granted. And we forget to say, I'm going to encourage you. Thank you for all that you do. Let's give ourselves the encouragement. So. Yeah? In the church and outside the church. And then it says, um, Seventh point, bear with one another. And this includes not suing each other. Do you know that? Matthew 18. says, people inside the church shouldn't sue each other. Do all that you can avoid, avoid that at all costs. Don't take each other to court. Uh, it doesn't always happen like that. But we, we call to try and do all that we can to, to get on with each other. If someone's in the church, you don't take them to court. You try and work it out. It's to bear with one another. That includes not seeing each other. Now, Matthew 18, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Forgive. If you're praying in any situation, the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind or something, just repent, just forgive immediately. Do it straight away. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive you of your sins. Okay, these are all just saying, trying to paint a picture of what Christian community is like, what gospel community is like, what we are committing ourselves to do for each other because we're part of the same body. Uh, I'm going to do this last couple quickly. Number eight, call to pray for each other. That's an obvious one, isn't it? Call to pray for each other. Ephesians 6, James 5. Uh, pray for our children, pray for our families, pray for leaders in the church, in the world, that they would do their job well so we can live peaceful lives. And we've done our job well as husbands and wives so our kids can grow up in a family that honors the Lord. Pray for each other. Yeah? Can I encourage you to, to commit yourself to praying for someone in your life group? <laughs> or in this church community that God just brings to your mind this week. Why don't you spend the week praying, praying for someone? Just every day, just lift that person up. Pray God's blessing, God's future, every, every provision from the Lord for that person. Yeah? Pray for us as we try and lead God's church. We covered your prayers. So much we still need to see happen. And God wants to do through this church and the community. Um, and then this is also one that people don't like in our very individualistic age. But again, we've got to look at what the Bible says, the whole of the Bible says, not just the parts that we like. But it's quite clear we should keep away from those that are trying to damage the church. And I've been in the church long enough to know that there are people that try and damage the church. And uh, the scripture says quite clearly, Romans 16, 1 Timothy 6, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, in other words, if anyone's teaching what is not the gospel, what's not freedom in Christ, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, Paul's very blunt, isn't he? He says, such a person is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He says, if you're not preaching the love of Christ, if you're not preaching the gospel, if you're not preaching forgiveness and restoration, all the things that you heard me say, and you're hearing someone say something else, that person is conceited, puffed up, doesn't understand anything. He is, has an unhealthy craving for controversy. I've been involved in church long enough to know there's always some theological controversy. 
Paul says, don't have don't waste time with unhealthy controversies. Quarreling about words. Don't worry about that stuff. Some guy comes with this new revelation of the end times. How it's going to be. I'm so bored of those stories, guys. Uh, please don't come and tell me your latest degree of how the world's going to end, alright? It's not helpful. It just wastes our time. It's much more important things to do. Much more important to preach the good news and see people say, yes, I want to. So, quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction amongst people. Who wants to be part of the community that's got constant friction amongst the people? Because they're all fighting and quarreling about words. No, that's not the kind of community we want to aim at, is it? The kind of community that God has for us is one is unity and love, forgiveness and kindness, doing our best to honor Jesus as we would our before Him. Yep. And lastly, I have 10 points, I think. Um, 12. Jesus. Well, I am going quickly. You have to say, I am going quickly, alright? So it's not only got three left. And then it's uh, another encouragement to us in terms of church community. Don't evaluate each other as the world evaluates people. Alright? Matthew 20, Romans 12. You have to let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that cool? I'll do one another and show you honor in saying you're doing a great job and encouraging someone. I'll do each other. Come on, that's really a, a, a total um, encouragement to me. Do not, uh, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't let your passion flag. Uh, sometimes our passion flags, isn't it? And Paul says, don't be slothful. Don't kind of get out of the habit of being zealous, being passionate. For the kingdom of God, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be patient in suffering, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's such wonderful encouragement. The scripture is so rich. I mean, I've just chosen scripture and it's just speaking for itself. Go and do a study for yourself this week. Just in terms of the things that we call to as Christian community. And then uh, June 9, we tend to go for the gospel. I'll just mention that. We are called to stand for the gospel and to contend. There's a sense of um, uh, that word contend is very powerful, isn't it? Standing in a positive way, not allowing yourself to be deflected of what God's calling to contend together for the gospel. And lastly, to be examples to uh, Philippians 2, first 18 verses. And so I'd like just to end with this uh, big picture statement. If you go to the last slide, all of us. Every single one of us, as members of a local church community, a local church family, are to make these things our aim, the things I've been trying to paint the picture of this morning, which those things become real as we love Jesus and we walk by the Spirit. So those things are the overflow of walking by the Spirit. And so I want to encourage you with that. That's why I love church so much, and that's why I think church is so important. That's why I think the Bible says it's so important. It's this formal relationship that we have with each other where we can be known and we open our hearts to others that they can know us. And we love each other, encourage each other, lift each other's arms, so kind and patient, by the power of the spirits, to see everyone built up and encourage them to become more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's what church is. It's that kind of community.
Is that messy? Sometimes it is. Is that easy? Not all the time. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and He wants to help us to become more and more like Him. Amen? So we can practice this in our families, we can practice this with our children, we can practice this together. I'm convinced that as our churches become more and more a demonstration of this kind of gospel, those that do not know Christ will see that and will want that kind of gospel for themselves. Yep, that's what it's about. We are aiming at the gospel of Jesus and that needs to influence every single part of our lives, how we live, what we value, so that we see many saved in the kingdom come in our community. Amen? Yes, amen.